Welcome back to Jeremy's podcast, Living Free. Sorry, guys, it took me so long to get episode four down with all the holidays and everything going on. I hope everybody out there had a good holiday season and everybody was safe and just trucked forward on their recovery and with their mental health and continued to move past hurdles and things like that. Uh, last time I left off of uh, when... We lived in Camas, and we had our own restaurant. I was married to my first wife, uh, and I think I left off to where I was going to leave the restaurant and go back to California, call my ex-wife, and decided that maybe would give it another shot. I uh, went out to California, Clear Lake, Oaks, uh, just a little uh, west of Sacramento, California. And when I went out there... Uh, stayed out there probably for a few months and then just realized that it was not going to work it was just you know it was that relationship was dead and so I ended up calling my sister-in-law and which is married to my brother that was a partner in the restaurant and she's originally from down south Texas Alabama uh, Florida way she's knows a lot of people down that way so I ended up calling her she put me in uh, contact with uh, somebody that owned owned AJ Seafood and Bar Uh, went so I left California had my dad come out and give me a ride to the airport packed all my stuff and flew to Pensacola uh, Florida from there uh, Greyhound to Fort Walton Beach uh, spent the night and then the next morning got up and taxied into Destin, Florida, which is a college party town, and anybody that knows addicts in a college party town, that probably wasn't the best place for me to go, as I'll explain, but it was, at the time, it was fun, it was a good job, Uh, I got hired right on, uh, that's kind of what I did in California anyway, was cook, and then when I moved out to Utah and opened our restaurant, that's what I did, so I just kind of fell into place, it was easy for me to do that, it was not hard for me to adjust uh so i lived at uh, motel six for uh probably a month maybe two months and then got in connection with a guy that uh was had a condo that rented a couple of rooms out so i ended up moving over there uh went to work uh every day uh it was kind of the normal there to drink while you were working or you know, after work, go up to the upstairs bar and just, you know, party all night. And that bar didn't close till like four or five o'clock in the morning. So, you know, it eventually took its toll on me. Uh, I, you know, was drinking more and more now that especially I was single and I kind of, I guess in a way, didn't have anybody to answer to or kind of look out for me, I guess, in a way. Uh, so, uh, stayed out there, stayed working out there, uh, living with that gentleman, renting a room, uh, came to the point where I was trying to drink whatever I could, I, anything I could find in the house, I would drink, uh, people there were partiers as well, they were college kids, uh, down that way they hire a lot of Russian immigrants to come over and give them work visas and stuff like that, so some of the roommates were from Russia, uh, So, you know how the Russians like their vodka and, you know, and the gentleman there liked Crown Royal. So, eventually, it got to the point where 
you know, he just asked me if I would please move out and he'd give me back my refund and everything. And so I started looking for a place. Uh, I found a place over in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Uh, uh, a lady was renting a room, uh, moved over there, uh, you know, and then uh, come to find out that she was a pill addict or heroin addict and so she did her thing and I did mine and ended up becoming romantically involved uh so I didn't really have to pay rent while living there and so that gave me more paycheck money to spend on booze and marijuana and uh just started to kind of downward downward spiral and just ended up uh ended up you know booze was more important than working and this work was just a big party when I was there. Uh, after work would be a party. I'd go home late. It was taking its toll on me, getting less and less sleep every morning, uh, trying to get to work and having no vehicle, taking the public transit over there, which was cheap. It was like a couple bucks. But So eventually I just quit that job and stayed around in Fort Walton for a while with this girl, uh, like I said, romantically involved, uh, Things, you know, eventually, like I said, spiraled out of control, and I, you know, lost my job over AJ's, and uh, just didn't really have any more money to fall back on, and was kind of down on my luck, and my mental health was starting to kind of flare back up. I was not taking my medications that I should have, uh, and everybody knows that when you're on antidepressants, you just can't stop cold turkey. It's just it's not good for you to do without a doctor's recommendation uh, to stop that. So I ended up calling back home to my mother and father, and they bought me a one-way ticket back home to Utah. Uh, went back home, stayed with them. Uh, that's kind of when I first realized that I needed to change my pattern in life. I... I, my, that was the first time in my life that I kind of realized that I had a problem, that there was, you know, I needed to make some corrections and move forward and get out of that lifestyle. And so I would go a couple of days without and then fall back and drink and then same pattern over and over and over and just, you know, by myself at home my mom and dad both worked at that time still and just it it was you know not a good lifestyle for me I mean they helped me out as much as they can just like they you know most parents do for their kids is they will allow you know to help out as much as they can and you know not give into your addiction but you know they they knew what was going on that I was drinking heavy and falling into depression even farther and I remember one day uh walking over to the gas station getting a couple of 24 ounce beers and coming back home and you know drinking them and I, I'm pretty sure I went back to the store and maybe got two more I mean I used to drink natural light so it was pretty easy to and affordable to get I mean it wasn't real hard so uh came back home with the second set of beers uh drank them uh continued you know having a good time whatever and then 
wanted some more but didn't have the money to get more so i come up with this scheme of you know how can i get some more money uh so thinking and just you know going back and forth and trying to figure out everything that's going on in my life at the time and trying to press forward and everything else i take a pad of paper out of the drawer and a black sharpie marker and write a bank robbery note so <laughs> i'm i'm intoxicated for one but then i write this note about how i'm going to rob the you know give me all your money and da, da 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 so i end up calling you know a friend and he gives me a ride to the bank and we park in the back parking lot and i tell him i'm going to go to cash a check and i go into the bank and i'm nervous as hell i ask them if I can use their bathroom and so they have a bathroom in the basement so I go down in the basement and I you know down there psyching myself up that you know you got to do this you're in here already what what the hell are you doing you know and so I go back upstairs I I think there was one other customer maybe somebody at the drive-thru but I go in there and I go up to the teller and I slide this note across and I can see the look on his face you know he's terrified you know he's probably never been robbed before and so he ended up handing me a stack of money that's pre-enveloped, and I go right out the opposite door I came in, went right back to the car. Uh, we take off going down the road. Uh, there's, you know, I'll, on the way back to my house, there's uh, we, just lines of police lights, and so we pull over just like abiding, you know, like we're abiding the laws, and and he doesn't know anything, but I know that they're, I know exactly where they're going. I mean, they're going to the bank that just got robbed. And so, uh, I get home and, you know, and mind you, I'm like 135 pounds at this time. And I'm terrified. I mean, I've never done something like this. And I mean, the crazy thought that went through my head, why I thought I could rob a bank. I have no idea, but you know, with intoxication, depression, everything setting in, I just, I mean, I did it, you know, I take full responsibility for that and I'm, you know, try to move on past that and keep moving forward. And, uh, but anyway, so we get home and he drops me off and then he takes off. And so then I go back upstairs and I'm, get the money out count it and you know there's I don't know like seven thousand dollars or roughly around there somewhere give or take uh and then I'm trying to think what's my next plan this is gonna be on the news tonight there's gonna be all this stuff going on I'm just like I'm not prepared for this I'm just I didn't think the whole thing through and whatever and so I put the mat uh, money underneath my mattress upstairs on my bed and go downstairs and kind of like pacing back and forth and what am I going to do what the heck what's next what what's my next move and so I go outside to smoke a cigarette just as SWAT is pulling up and I mean cars everywhere surrounding the house and they tell me to get on the ground put your hands you know the routine put your hands behind your back that arrest me put me in the, this canine vehicle with this dog right next to me. It just keeps barking and barking and <laughs> over and over. I mean, it's like bad enough that I'm thinking now that, oh, shit, man, I'm in deep shit. And, 
you know, then I got this dog barking in my ear that wants to rip my face off as well. I mean, because technically I'm the bad guy. So the so then they go in, do their investigation, whatever, find the money. Uh, they process the note. They got my face on surveillance. And so I go to uh, Lehigh City Police Station. And it's kind of getting later about that time because it was around 4 o'clock when I robbed the bank. Uh and I remember them asking me if I wanted to talk to them about it or whatever. And I was like, no, 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 no. And finally, they kind of like showed me some evidence that they had or whatever. And I was pretty much smoked. So I decided, you know, to bargain with them. Hey, you know, I'm probably going to jail for a while, whatever. I, I want a couple smokes and then I pr- I'll talk to you guys. So they let me go out and smoke and I do that. And then I talk to them and, you know you know, basically admit that, um, yeah, that's me in the surveillance videos. And I mean, obviously you can tell, and besides they, you know, trace the money back to my house and everything like that. And so they take me to Utah County jail where they book me in on a first degree felony, five to life and a second degree obstructing charge, uh, start going through the court process there. My public defender's trying to get me to convince me that I need to plead guilty so the feds don't pick my case up and I'm just like I'm not gonna plead guilty to a first degree robbery charge when I didn't have a weapon I it's not aggravated unless you have a weapon so I you know I'm telling them no 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 we're gonna go to court make me a deal make me an offer and then I'll think about pleading guilty and I think it was like maybe the third court date and we finally went in there and my public defender came up to me and said well there's good news they're going to offer you a second degree robbery charge and drop the obstructing of justice charge but the bad news is the feds picked up your case so the state's going to drop their case so later that day the uh, fbi comes and picks me up uh doing a swab test in the back seat and that's kind of crazy but and then they used leg shackles to (laughs) handcuff me uh took me to the federal courthouse in salt lake and to book me in there and see the magistrate and things like that and the marshal there was giving him a hard time because like you really you guys don't have any handcuffs you know you had to use leg shackle irons to you know so they at that time it's the old courthouse and it's downstairs in this basement i think there was like three or four cells and they kind of segregated to counties that held uh i think one was like twilla and one was davis county and one was weaver county and uh, there might have been a couple more in there too but so they put me in this holding cell i'm gonna go to weaver county i go up and see the magistrate and she does her thing and whatever so i end up going to weaver county jail uh where is where i stayed for uh, pretty close to a year why going through the court process uh everything like that my federal public defender was a pretty nice guy i mean he you know it seems like they fight a little bit more a little more for you in the federal system than they do in the state system but that's besides the point I, uh, so they process me um okay pled guilty whatever going back in front of the judge and he says okay well you should be doing three years in prison for this with your what your matrix and everything says but I know alcohol was involved and it sounds like you realized you have a problem whatever 
if I only give you two years, can you, you know, don't come back in, in front of me for violating or anything like that when you get out or I'll send you back to do the rest of your time. And so the judge treated me very fairly, uh, gave me two years uh, with three years probation after that. So uh, finally left Weber County toward the end of that first year, uh, flew into Pahrump, Nevada, where there's a federal holding facility waiting to be transported to the federal prison. Uh, stayed there for about two weeks, just shy of two weeks, I think, and then ended up going to Florence, Colorado, to an FCI medium-high security prison. Uh, that's where I stayed for the remaining amount of my time. Uh, prison uh, was, at the time, I, I always say it was a blessing because there was no way I could get sober on my own. I had to be in a controlled environment to do so. I mean, I know that you can get whatever pretty much you want in prison, you know, whatever, but... I had made my mind up at that time that I was going to take this opportunity to make a plan of how to better myself and how to move on with my life and do it for the better. And so I stayed there for a year. I did a lot of exercising, weightlifting. There was weights on the yard. Uh, uh, you know, sat, you know, with my people from Utah. I joined their car, uh, was what they call it, you know, just you know, to make sure I had backing because, you know, prison's a scary thing, you know, that's not easy on your mental health as well. And stayed there for about a year, like I said, uh, eventually uh, got out. Uh, they don't do parole anymore in the federal system. It's just probation. So you know exactly how much time you're going to do and when you're going home. And they said, well, you can get out a month earlier if you want to go to a halfway house. And I've just heard horrible things about halfway houses, so I decided, no, I'll just stay the extra month and then go straight home. Uh, my parents came out one time and visited. You know, it's pretty far from Utah to Florence, so they came out and visited once, and then uh, they actually came and picked me up at the Greyhound station where they drop you off to bus back to Utah <clears throat> to check into your parole officer. And so we drove home, and I ended up staying with them again. Uh, had a plan. Uh, ended up, you know, I wanted to build my own food truck. I was in the food business at the time and just really knew a lot about it. So I ended up buying a old bread truck from Franz uh, out of Idaho and uh, decided that I was going to build this food truck. Well, I it probably took me two, three years to finally complete it. But I ended up completing it and ran that business, uh, also working full-time for a family friend that had a brother that in an oil recycling business and gave me a job as soon as I got home from prison, which helped and obviously makes you compliant with probation and everything else. And, you know, living my life the way I wanted to. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't—I didn't—I didn't, I was sober, you know, for the first time and probably— at that time, at least probably 15, maybe even 20 years that, you know, I finally wasn't living or letting a substance run my thoughts or my mind. And that was got back on my mental health meds and just things were, you know, going really well. And then I got laid off from the oil business. And so I had a brother working at a hair extension place that sold beauty cosmetics. I did some Amazon 
sales and things like that. So I ended up moving up, you know, going up there and then ended up becoming the warehouse manager there, uh, running my food truck just part time, uh, doing really well, uh, you know, just trying to concentrate just on myself, uh, decided that I, uh, wanted, you know, maybe to approach dating again. And so then I go back, you know, I'm like, well, what, what do you do? I, you used to meet girls at the bar and, you know, different things that (laughs) doesn't, you know, you don't do that anymore. What's what's the new thing people are doing? I didn't really know how to date. That wasn't a big thing when I grew up. We just hung out, partied. So this was a new experience for me. So I went on to ChristianMingle.com where I messaged a lady named Rebecca. Uh, took Met her for coffee a couple of times. Went on a couple of dates. Uh, decided that, you know, we were, you know, pretty compatible together. And she was sober and a good lady we both had no kids and so we dated for a while and then <clears throat> eventually decided that you know I was gonna ask her to marry me uh asked her dad if it was okay if I you know took her daughter's hand and I wanted to marry her and he of course said yes uh so married decided to get married to her uh think it was 2017 ish was when we got married uh you know running a food truck she worked full-time she's been at the same business for 20 something years she's really educated she's you know has a really good job and so this was really good for me uh, somebody sober and things like that so we're you know get married we rent an apartment and stay there for maybe about a year and then we buy our own house and I'm just you know, things are just coming, you know, really good for me, and it's, things are just amazing, and, you know, keep going, and everything's good, and, you know, things just keep getting better when, you'll be surprised how well things start to fall in place when you have a clear mind, and you can think, and you can adjust to life, and make rash decisions, and decide what's best for your health and stuff I mean it's it's an amazing journey to do that and you know but that's probably going to end it for this episode uh remember guys that you know you're worth it I love you guys uh I'd like to give a shout out to you know if you donate to money to keep this uh podcast going it's Not for me personally. I like to use that money for, you know, to help others that maybe can't afford treatment, uh, try to get in connection with people that like the Phoenix and things like that to help people. And I just want to give a shout out to everybody that uh, donates money that, you know, I appreciate it. I love you guys and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. (laughs) 